Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. You can open up your word to Revelation chapter 13. And I apologize, my voice is going to be rough today. We're going to press through this because the enemy uh, does not want this message and you need this message. And so we're going to be looking at Revelation actually beginning in chapter 12, finishing in 14.1. And we live in a world of what I will call knockoffs. Knockoff not being the big hit of murder, knockoffs being imitations, copies, and fakes. And we've all experienced those. And, and, and I think God sends me the funniest, timely things. Last weekend, we were at a marriage retreat in uh, Pigeon Forge. And Kendra and I pulled up to a traffic light in front of the mall there. And I looked over. And you know who's sitting in a Nissan Altima right next to me? Elvis Presley. <laughs> no, 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 the real one. The, the older, fat Elvis, but it was the real one. He was right there yeah, driving the Altima right there. And I thought, man, that's cool. You know? And he looked over. I was like, man, that's awesome. I'm thinking, who would do that? Okay. <laughs> And so we live in a world of imposters and fakes, you know. We, we all experience it. If you play golf, you'll remember in the 70s when ping eyes came out really popular. And it wasn't long, the average person realized you couldn't afford ping eye. And so what you could afford was a cavity back knockoff. It might be called ling, ting, bing, it ain't zing, but it's close. It's just a close imposter. And there's, they're everywhere we live. Raise two daughters, and if you are a man, you'll probably get to experience this wonderful occasion. You go to New York City, and you go to Chinatown. Why? Because you want to buy a knockoff, a Louis Vuitton knockoff. And you, you'll end up in Chinatown, and a little Chinese man will lead you down an alley or a corridor, up a set of stairs, into a room that looks normal, into a half door, into a small room loaded with purses, To which, at which point the dad thinks, father of the year, we're all getting murdered right here. All why? Because we're pursuing a knockoff. <clears throat> and the problem is often we don't even know the fakes. Sometimes they let the cat out of the bag themselves. Like if you've ever been into the, they don't do this anymore, but I remember when I was in high school and college, everybody wanted to wear a gold chain. You know, and it, Johnny Cox might have an eagle the size of your hand flying from his neck because it was cool like that. Don't y'all laugh? It's cool, okay? But you would find out if you had the real McCoy or a cheap knockoff by the end of the day when you would sweat a little bit and you didn't know it and nobody told you. But when you get home, you got a green circle around your neck, okay? There's knockoffs everywhere. And so today, we're going to see in Revelation 13, beginning at the end of 12, the greatest knockoff in history, the greatest imposter in history, <clears throat> and there, it's a trifecta. It's not just one, it is the full deal. But in studying for this message, I was like, Lord, how do I end this? Because this is so dark, man. It's just like it's, it's real and it's there and it's not pleasant. And I kept reading, and he reminded me once again, and I want to remind you before we begin, no matter where you are at in your journey of life, no matter how dark it may seem in your circle, no matter how hard or difficult things may be, you just keep looking because Jesus is not too far away. And I want to show you that today because it blessed the socks off of me. And I pray that you get a blessing as well. So let's dive into it a little bit. In Revelation, he's going to start talking about the great knockoff. It's not a new thing. John said in 1 John, I've told you about the coming Antichrist. 
Paul said in uh, 2 Thessalonians, I've told you about the Antichrist. Jesus in Matthew 24 said, there is one coming, an Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7 and 9 addressed the Antichrist. Um, Moses in writing the Pentateuch in Genesis chapter 3 talked about one who would continue to bruise the heel of Christ and ultimately he would crush his head. He's real. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the devil's real. Now look at your neighbor and say, real defeated. Because he is real. And we, we ignore that sometimes. We walk around that, we flirt with it a little bit, okay? But he's real. And he's your enemy. And he's not the little devil, like we talked about last week, with the flammable Halloween costume, okay? With a little tail, cute little mask, and a pitchfork, okay? He's a roaring lion. He's a deceiver. He's the father of all lies. He's the usurper. He's the accuser. He is your enemy. And he's real. Okay? Now, with that, we move into Revelation. Now, if your Bible doesn't have a chapter 12, verse 18, it's quite all right. If your Bible does have a chapter 12, verse, that sounded funny. That sounded like a preacher making stuff up. It just means he's moved it down in 13, verse 1. So, chapter 12, verse 18 in my Bible, and chapter 13, 1 in some of your Bibles, begins and says this, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. The first imposter, the first knockoff is the dragon. Now, I want you to picture what John's seeing because he's seeing future events unfold. And he looks and he sees a dragon, not a little devil with a tail, a dragon. We find out in chapter 17, the dragon is Satan himself. It is the devil. And and the devil who was once an angelic being who rebelled against God and said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will take over this heaven. And God said, no, you won't. And so we kicked him out of heaven, we saw last week, and he swept a third. He convinced a third of the angels to go with him. And they left their angelic state, and they fell into a demonic state, and that's where they are today. And so this dragon, the, the, the leader of the demonic um, principality, is standing on the seashore, and something happens. And he sees, and he begins to unfold how he's going to try to take over this world. Because I want you to know something today. The enemy, he hates God. And he hates everything that God loves. And he can't hurt God. So he knows the only way to hurt God, he can't overtake God, but he knows the only way to hurt God is to hurt the things that God loves. And that's why he hurts you. That's why he hurts me. Because he wants to hurt God. His goal isn't to hate you. His goal is to demonstrate hatred on God. He hates you personally. He hates your little boys and your little girls. He hates your marriage. He hates you. And so here's the dragon faking to be God. He's an imposter. He will never be God. He is a created being. He will never overtake God. He will never uh, be God, but he wants to be God. So knockoff number one is Satan, and he's a fake. As we keep looking, we're going to see knockoff number two, because if, if, if Satan wants to be God, and he can't create things on his own, 
He'll fabricate or mimic what he sees God do. And we know that God is three persons, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So Satan says, well, if I'm going to be God, I need three parts too. And so he's standing on the shore pretending to be God the Father. And he says, I need a son because God has a son. And out of that comes knockoff number two, the Antichrist. Chapter 13. And he represents Jesus the Son. Now listen to what he says. He says, then I saw a beast. Now let me just tell you that beast, I want to emphasize that he's a bad character, a bad player. The word beast in Greek is the word we use for monster. We get our word monster, okay? He's not, he's not a friendly foe, okay? He says, now this monster was coming up out of the sea, and he had ten horns and seven heads. And on its horns were ten diadem crowns, and on its heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast that I saw was like a leopard, but its feet, they were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a, a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority to rule. I want you to know that demons are spiritual beings. They do not have a body. You have a body, your body, soul, and spirit. The demons are spirit beings. For them to perform and function in this world, they need to be embodied. So what they do is they look for vulnerable subjects outside of God who are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they enter those people, and they become embodied to perform the deeds of the enemy. They may do it to animals. <laughs> Anybody ever had an animal you thought was filled with Lucifer? We had devil cat in Alabama, okay? <laughs> Ultimately, we murdered that devil. Now, some of y'all go write me a letter. Can't believe you killed a cat. Don't send one to my house. I will not kill it, okay? This cat was of the devil, okay? So I, I, we called him devil cat, okay? Now, you may be thinking, man, this is hokey pokey, you know, spiritual stuff. Oh, is it? Listen to Luke chapter 22, verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas, and he went away and discussed with the chief priest and the officers how he might betray him to them. That's what he does. You remember the story of the demoniac? And, then, and Jesus said, who are you? He said, we're legion. He had all kinds of demons in him. Jesus cast out the demons. They had to be embodied. He embodied them in swine, and they dove in the lake. Now, that's a good plan, okay? So you can write Jesus a note for killing the pigs, okay? Now, here's the thing. He, must, he wants to be embodied to perform what he needs done on this planet. Now, he describes him coming out of the sea. In the Bible, the sea means um, the, the evil nations of the world. So the Antichrist is going to come out of the, the, the world system, okay? And there have been Antichrists. The Bible says there'll be many Antichrists, but there's one who will be the great Antichrist. Adolf Hitler, he was an, a type of Antichrist, okay? So, so they have existed through time. But there's one coming that will be the son of Satan. He will be the imposter, the knockoff of Jesus, the son. And so, so 
how do people believe an imposter? What, what, how do you get to a place where you believe a lie of the enemy? And deep within your soul, you know that it's a lie. But you just can't push through it. You just kind of embrace it. And you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't believe it does. I don't believe that's real. Oh, it's real. And, and you've done it. But if you don't know what that looks like, come on Monday night to feed the homeless ministry. We fed about 170 people last Monday night. And out of those people, there's some who are sadly addicted to substance. Okay? They didn't one day in the fourth grade or 10th grade or at 35 years old say, you know, I think I'm looking at what the world says and what my friends say about this thing. And I think it's okay. I think I, think I can handle it. Their goal was not, I want to have some of that because I would like to sleep outside every night for the rest of my life. I want to live under the bridge and wonder where I'm going to eat at tomorrow. That's not the case. They, they, they believed a lie, which led to another, which led to another. Now, how does that happen? Well, the Antichrist, which means the antithesis or the opposite of Christ, in verse 3 it says, one of the beast's heads appeared to have been killed, but the lethal wound had been healed, and the whole world followed the beast in amazement. One way the enemy makes us stumble and follow him is that he performs signs and wonders. He does great things in our presence. And don't let anybody fool you. We live in a sign-seeking world. We, we, we want miracles. We want to see God do great things. And I said it before, listen to me. You don't need a miracle from God to believe in God because you are a miracle of God. And if you're born again, that's miracle enough. The fact that God would choose you to be in his world and die for you, that's all you need. That's the only miracle you need. Now, does God still perform miracles? Every day. Every day is a miracle. Every day, just look around. But what we want is we want to package God, and we want him to perform miracles that we want to see in our life. We want a sign. We want a wonder to follow Jesus and his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is enough sign and enough miracle for anybody on the planet. So you don't need to seek that. You've got to be careful with that, okay? So this one comes at his miracle. Remember what I said. He's knockoff number two, an imitation of Jesus. Jesus died, rose again. The Antichrist, it takes a fatal wound, so it appears, and then he rises from the dead. So he, he has abilities that the dragon has gifted him with. Next, I want you to see that he has a goal in mind. When Jesus came, Jesus came to point people to his father. His goal was for, to, to create worshipers of God among people who were of their father, the devil. Which, by the way, everybody on the planet before Christ are children of their, their father, the devil. Only when you're born again did you become a child of God. Listen to verse 4. So now they worshiped the dragon because he had been given ruling authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast too, saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to make him war, make war against him? So he turns everybody to God, excuse me, to the dragon to worship him because Satan's goal is to be worshiped. So now I want you to see that he gets exposed. 
This all happens in a seven-year period, just a, a, a blink in all of the, God's timeline. And the first three and a half years, God allows the dragon and the Antichrist, and we'll see them at the false prophet, to convince everybody that they're God. They'll bring peace to the Middle East. They'll say, come on, Israel, come on, Arabs, let's just get along. And people begin to believe it because they want there to be peace. And, and there's signs to make it look like it's real. But at three and a half years into it, they're exposed. It says in verse 5, So the beast was given a mouth speaking proud words and blasphemies, and he was permitted to exercise ruling authority for 42 months. Pause. 42 months, three and a half years. Sometimes it calls it 1,260 days. Three and a half years. Daniel called it time, times, half a time. That's a year plus two years plus a half a year. Three and a half years, okay? This is, this is a real countdown, a real timeline. So then it says, so the beast opened his mouth to blaspheme against God and to blaspheme both his name and his dwelling place, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And then the beast was permitted to go to war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given ruling authority over every tribe and people, language and nation. And all those who live on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of life, belonging to the lamb who was killed. So what does that mean? In the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, the dragon, the Antichrist, and ultimately the false prophet will be exposed for who they are, okay? And when they are, they will establish war against the saints. Okay, now let's clear this up. Who are the saints they're talking about? Okay, there's Old Testament saints. Before Jesus came, people of the Old Testament placed their faith in the Messiah, Jesus, who would come. And they were sealed under that. We're in the church age. We're saved, we're made saints because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We place our faith in the finished work. They place their faith in the coming work. So Jesus raptures the church. We saw that in chapter 4. Jesus takes the church home. That's the believers, the true believers. This world is, uh, Christians are evacuated from this world and tribulation begins. During those seven years, there will be people who will come to Christ because there's witnesses, there's 144,000 Jewish missionary evangelists, and people will come to Christ. So if you don't make the first cut, if you don't go to heaven on the first bus called the rapture, you can still be saved. The sad news is you will be martyred for your profession of Christ meaning you will be murdered. And we'll see what that looks like a little bit in just a minute. Thank you. So it says in verse 9, Now, if anyone has an ear, he had better hear. So I want you to know that six times in Revelation, there is a phrase that says this, It was given unto him. I'm not going to guess what's in that cup, and I'm not going to tell you what it tastes like, but I hope it helps. <laughs> and I honestly don't care, okay? Yeah, so anyway, thank you, Joe. Anyway, 
it was given unto him. Now, I want you to know something, church. Satan is still on a leash, and he will never break free from God's controlling chain. And he will never overtake God the Father. God is the creator of all things. Satan is a created being. The Antichrist, as bad as he is, and with all the hell he's going to bring on this earth, he will never ultimately rule because God only gives him so much room to roam, okay? Now, I just want to lay that because then he changes gears a little bit, and he says, we're going to see knockoff three. He says, if anybody, he, he, there's an expression, if anybody has an ear to hear, let him hear. You know what he's saying? He's saying, don't just hear with your ears. Hear this with your soul. Let God speak to your heart the message, the words of this book. Because it will not change anything from here up. But when this word, God's word, penetrates into here, it changes your world and the world around you. And it's real. So he says, if you got an ear, man, open them up and receive this word. You say, I don't really want to receive it. He's talking about like the Antichrist. I don't want that. Trust me. Listen. Engage. Lean in. Because there's a... There's a there's an, something I want to show you at the end. The next thing I want to say, knock off number three, the false prophet. Revelation 13 and 11, it says, Then I saw another beast coming up from the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he was speaking like a dragon. So there's God the Father, and the dragon imitates that. There's Jesus the Son, and the Antichrist imitates that. There's the Holy Spirit, and the false prophet imitates that. Here's what he does. The Holy Spirit, I want you to know the, what the Holy Spirit does in your life. First of all, if you're lost, the Holy Spirit comes and he just touches your heart, your existence, your world, who you are, your soul. And he just touches you and invites you into the presence of God. He may do it when you're a child. He may do it when you're an adult. And we get to respond to that. And he touches you. And if you res respond to it, he seals you. In other words, when the Holy Spirit touched me when I was a 10-year-old boy, he said, hey, I love you just like you are. And I was, I was messed up. I'm a 10-year-old. I, I spent most of my elementary school years in the closet, okay? And the Holy Spirit was cool with that. He said, closet boy, I want you to be mine, okay? And he touched me like nothing else ever could, and I knew it. And I accepted that. I received that. And when I did, I became a child of God, and the Holy Spirit sealed me. So for all of eternity now, the Holy Spirit has sealed me. You don't see it. I don't see it. God sees it. The false prophet comes, and he wants to seal you too. And in the second half of the tribulation period, there will be a seal required. It's called the mark of the beast. Listen to what it says here. It goes on. And I'm going to move down to verse 16. He says, and he, the false prophet, pause, everybody look right here for a second. I want you to understand something. For an enemy to rule the world, he not only has to rule it politically, which is the Antichrist, he has to rule it spiritually, which is the false prophet. He has to have religion and politics all at the same time, because the enemy knows that if somebody has a religion that's alternative to, to worshiping Satan, it's not going to work. 
So he has to get everybody under the same umbrella believing the same thing. And in the process, he says, now we're going to know who they are because we're going to require that you be sealed. He says in verse 16, he calls to everyone, small, great, rich, poor, free, slave, to obtain a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Thus, no one has allowed to buy or sell things unless he bore the mark of the beast. That is the name or his number. Okay, so I want you to look down now. And he says in verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has insight calculate the beast's number, for it is a man's number, and his number is 666. Now, how many of you ever heard of the mark of the beast? You ever heard of that? Yeah, we've all heard of it. And older people watched a movie called The Omen. A little boy had it right here under his hairline. Okay? Belly scaly. Okay? Okay? That ain't what it looks like. Okay, first of all, what is the mark of the beast? It's a mark that signifies people are followers of the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. Yet they don't see them as the dragon, the antichrist, and the false prophet. They see them as God, God's son, and the spirit of God. That's how they see them. You say, well, how can somebody get to a place where they believe that? How do you get there? In Romans chapter 1, it says, and, and this is talking about the sin of homosexuality in particular, but it can be any sin that you want to choose. It says, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in their, themselves that recompense of their errors. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, listen now, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things which are not convenient. How do you get there? God will strive for you. He'll try to send people into your life to help you embrace the light, to, to help you know Jesus, to understand the amazing picture that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we push back, and we push back, and we push back against the words of this book and the truth for which it stands. And there's a day in our life when God says, that's what you want. I'm going to let you have it. And he turns people over to a reprobate mind and they can no longer receive the truth. Now, what about this 666? You know who that is? You know who that is? We don't know. You know who, it, who sometimes, you know who people think it is? Some have said it's the Pope. Some have said it's the papacy. Some have said it's all Protestant churches. You, me, you know why? Because we worship on Sunday, and that's not the Sabbath. So we're all part, we all have the mark of the beast, which is going to church on Sunday. Now I know why you look that way when I'm preaching. Okay? It's a man. A man is who it is. It is a personal pronoun man who rises up and requires a, a mark to buy and to sell. When John wrote this 2,000 years ago, they didn't even have this. They didn't, they didn't even know anything like this. And he's writing that there's a day coming when people will have a mark in their forehead or their wrist that will allow them to buy and sell and trade. This technology is in place today. 
Around the world, there are already people who have barcodes implanted in their hands who it's their credit card, their ability to buy, sell, and trade. You can have what's it called, retina scan for identification to get in a building. John didn't know anything about that, but God knew. And there's a day coming when people will have to take the mark. Now, here's the thing. This is a dark, we're in a dark place. You got the dragon standing on the sea, the one who hates you, wants to devour you. Now you've got his agent of political change, the Antichrist. Now you've got his religious leader, um, the false prophet. And and we're sitting here thinking, man, I don't really like chapter 13. Okay? Well, if you're saved, it really doesn't matter. You won't experience chapter 13 because you'll be raptured. Okay? But I want you to see something else. Because if we stopped right there, it's kind of a dark chapter. And in my history of studying God's Word... And preaching, sometimes you run through dark passages. And sometime in my life, sometimes in my life, I run through dark passages, seasons of just kind of heaviness. And I want to encourage you with this. Whether you're in Scripture or whether in your life, when you hit those dark seasons, keep moving forward. Because Jesus is never far away. And when you read this, it looks like where is the conqueror? Where's the king? Where's God? Where's Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Man, that is terrible. Well, I want to show you the real McCoy. It's found in chapter 14, verse 1. He just saw the vision of this. And 14.1 says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. I want you to know something today. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, his name is Jesus. And Jesus is part of God, okay? And it doesn't matter what the devil does or any of his demonic beings do. Jesus is still the king of the universe. Jesus is still the prince of peace. Jesus is still large and in charge. And Jesus will not be conquered. And if you are a child of God, you will never be overtaken. Even, amen, even in this life, if you get diagnosed with a terminal illness and the Lord takes you home, you still will not be overtaken because you will be ushered into the presence of the one who died to save you and not just give you this life, but to give you a forever life in his presence. So no matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are in this book, there is a Jesus who has come to conquer. And one day we're going to keep reading this book. And you're going to see at the end of this book, the enemy will pay for everything he's ever caused, every grief, every sorrow, every hurt, every sickness he's ever allowed you to experience. Jesus will stomp it all. And right now he is standing there with his feet planted on the mountain. He is not surprised. He is not amazed. He is not impressed. He is not in trouble. He's got it all in the palm of his hand. And if you're a child of his, he's got you right there. So the question is, are you a child of his? Or are you one of those 
who just drift, who have a form of religiosity, but you deny the power of what God does when it's real. We, we have one shot at life, one shot. And when it's over, there is no redos. And all of us have the opportunity to say, I see my life every day. And when I hear about another life, Jesus, I realize mine doesn't look much like his. And so I need his life to change my life. And I want to tell you today, there's a God who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And before time began, he had you by name, by DNA design on his mind. And on this very moment, on this very day, there's not one ounce of doubt in my mind that there are those here today who have never surrendered to Jesus and made him your Lord and Savior. There's those who have prayed a prayer. There's those who have went to church. There's those who have maybe sung songs of worship. But the Lord of creation has never come into your life not just to save you, but to be your king and your Lord. See, everybody wants a savior. Nobody wants to go to hell when we die. <laughs> you, you, you'll find some nuts out there and say, yeah, I don't care where I go when I die. Well, they're messed up. You stay away from them. The masses would say, I don't want to go to hell when I die. I need a savior. A lot of people say that. But you can't have a savior without having a Lord. If he's not the Lord of your life, he's never become the savior of your soul. And so we have to get to a place where we say, Jesus, I want you to save me, but I want you from this moment, I want to drive a stake in it on this day. And starting right now, you're my king. You're my master. You're the Lord of this life. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for letting me now be your subject. Because when that happens, everything changes and not just in you, but in your circle, in your home, in your relationship with your spouse and your children, on the job, in your community, in the church. I'm so proud that I get to watch this unfold and lives in here. I'm so proud of what God is doing, but I want you to know it's not finished yet. And he may be wanting to begin a change in you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here and you say, you know, I hear what you're saying, Brother Joel. And I want that in my life. I want it to be real. I want him to be the Lord of my life. You can start that today. By simply telling God all about it. You don't have to tell the preacher. Just in the privacy of where you sit, just cry out to God and say, God, thank you for being patient with somebody like me. I don't know why you chose to love me because I am so totally unlovable, but you did and you do. 
So in this moment, I receive that love in Jesus' name. I want Jesus to save me, but I want him to be the chief. I want him to be on the pinnacle, the apex of my universe. I want him to lead me step by step from this day forward. I want you to change the countenance of my face because you have changed the countenance of my heart. I don't want to be that defeated Christian anymore. I want to be the one you want me to be. Save me today. I take all of you. I give you all of me in exchange. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to stand and sing, and this altar's open. If you want to come and pray, and if you want to come and talk about where you're at in your journey, I'll be over here. I'm going to back that up. Don't come and talk to me. Send me a text, and I'll talk to you when this goes away. Okay? That's straight up real. But I want to tell you why it's so important for this church, because God has done remarkable things in the life of our church, and I don't take that lightly, and I certainly don't take credit for that. And moving forward, I think he wants to do even greater things. And he's stirring in our midst. We're having people saved and baptized. And, um, and on Easter of this year, I'll just go ahead and tell you, on April 21st and the 20th, we're going to have a special day here on this hill. We're going to have a big tent right there the size of our new worship center that one day we will build. And we're going to try to put a thousand people in it. For our glory, no. Because we are so amazed at what God is doing. And we want to open the doors and make room for him to do what he wants to do. And it's going to cost us some sacrifice to do it. And I want you now to begin praying, God, send people to be saved. And God, listen to this, use me in the process. Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that by all means, Paul said, I might save some. Paul couldn't save Paul. Excuse me, he couldn't save Saul. But he knew that God uses his children to impact this world. And he wants to use you. Isn't that cool? Isn't it cool that the God of the universe wants to include you in his agenda? That just smokes me. I'm just telling you. Let's stand and sing.